Opposing the horrible madness of war We need to stop bombing people's homes It's not anti-European Stop sending arms into conflict zones It's common sense Millions of Europeans struggle to feed their families and heat their homes All wars are evil and all victims deserve support And until we get on that page we have no credibility whatsoever When he's going to wake up and start living in the real world Thank you Hello, hello. Welcome back to I Foresee Trouble with Daily Infant. Wallace is on the way. He's going to be here very soon. Uh, We have a lot to tell you. So, Claire, please. (laughs) Oh, no. Where is he? So, so, so. Solidarité avec le peuple palestinien. We've just been on a very important uh, march for Palestine here outside the uh, European Commission. The whole building is surrounded by farmers. Uh, I came in this morning and felt like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I love the smell of burning rubber all day. Not. Uh, But the farmers have come to Brussels in their hundreds and in their maybe thousands. A hell of a lot of very big tractors anyway. And they're out there burning rubber. Uh, There's water cannon going. uh, A lot of disruption a very cordial relationship really with the police considering the absolute state of the place out yeah. there and I'm kind of reminded of the time the, the Palestinians came to sleep over and they were cleared off the area outside the parliament pretty handy but the yeah. farmers have been here all day. More than 24 hours they were here yesterday already. And loads of arrangements made to facilitate it in terms of closing off the city um, and all the rest of it and I mean look at it has in some ways captured the imagination of a lot of people Uh, These farmers protests are taking place all over Europe. It's hard to say what the demands fully are. There are certainly elements of big business that are whipping it up. uh, And certainly, I mean, some of the tractors I saw, well, practically all of them would have cost more than a a house in Ireland. And that's saying something. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are huge mixed concerns. There's an awful lot of small farmers who've been utterly shafted by the European Union who feel really sore Uh, and let down and it's because of that and a lot of that disruption was added to by Europe's stupid attitude to keeping the war in Ukraine going Um, farmers are suffering there's a lot of demands tied in about lifting environmental concerns and all that sort of stuff but still as well at the heart of it there's also a lot of farmers who are struggling and a lot of people in society then are very sympathetic because a lot of people are struggling as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was interesting to see the wide range of people. There was a lot of young people. I saw there was like teenagers, I'd say minors, like 13, 14 year olds. There's older people, females, males, just a bit of everything. Um, yeah, and it was just crazy to walk in this morning. Everything was blocked. Mm. We're burning everything. It's not something that you, you're used to seeing in the European Parliament, really. We're always happy to see uh, protests. And I think in some ways it reflects uh, a yearning for... I suppose, a mourning for a life that's been lost, that farmers feel and the agricultural community feels that their way of life has been massively eroded and undermined and they find it harder uh, to make a living. Mm. And I think that's the key reason really why ordinary people sympathise with them massively. Yeah, and I'd say the neoliberal sort of global agriculture model is just not sustainable anymore that's not working and I think they might just be picking at the wrong reasons for 
you know, the issues that are very obviously just structural, you know, problems that need to be solved through the root. Um, Absolutely. In some ways, there's been a division put between uh, the agricultural community and environmental concerns when really the two are hand in hand. Absolutely. But the Palestinian fighter has just arrived. (laughs) Save the day. Um, Mick was speaking at the protest, actually. And, uh, you know, there is huge attention on the the genocidal activity of the parliament. Uh, I suppose there is a lot of attention now, particularly with the ICJ and... uh, Uh, the ruling and the subsequent response of 12 EU member states and the Commission actually discussing the idea of axing the funding to UNRWA on the basis of spurious Israeli claims of Hamas involvement in the scheme. But in actual fact, what it is, is the next phase of genocide in breaching the ICJ ruling. And I think people all over Europe see through it. And the net is closing on Israel for sure. But unfortunately, um, until it's closed in its entirety, until the US and the EU stop backing them, uh, it's going to go on at enormous cost to the Gazans and the people of Palestine. Yeah, the cut to the UNRWA funding, um, I think, was shocking to an awful lot of people. Um, the only source of food at the moment going into the Gaza Strip uh, was being brought in by UNRWA a UN body that was set up back in 1948. Uh, and they have helped uh, as well as they can. Uh, the persecuted, besieged uh, Palestinians all that time. Um, you know, I suppose it just kind of um, brings home to people that uh, this didn't start on October 7th. You know, it's, it's going on for over 75 years at this stage. Um, but... Cutting the funding to UNRWA, uh, which uh, many states have done. The EU hasn't suspended it yet. It's it's investigating it. But, I mean, the idea that 12 employees out of 13,000 in UNRWA misbehaved and were supposed to be linked to Hamas, 12 out of 13,000, to cut the funding to the Palestinian people for that reason... Uh, is horrific. It was a horrific thing to do because what they're doing is they're saying, we are going to starve you. Mm. They're creating a famine in Gaza. It's deliberate. It's man-made. It's intentional. It was total stunt. The fact that they came out with this nonsense the day that the ICJ issued their historic judgment blade clearly against Israel... Uh, and they come up with this nonsense as a sort of a backdoor way of trying to get around one of the uh, conditions. And the fact that the Western countries have backed them up in it actually makes them now even closer to the charge of complicity in genocide. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens next, because a lot of countries, I mean, there were actually uh, a representative said to us that when the South African legal team went back to South Africa, it was like a football or an international sporting champions coming home. They hadn't seen a mood like that in the country and it sort of re-energised people around the ANC to remember what they fought for 
uh, what the struggle was about, that it's not just about gaining power in your own country. It's about fighting for a better world. And they were energised by that. And I've no doubt that other countries around the world will be as well. The majority of the world's countries have been against what the global north has been doing. The US and the EU are in a minority and the younger countries with the growing populations are coming for you because they are the ones who are going to save international law, humanity, and they're not going to tolerate this. And they will be ably supported by the ordinary people of Europe as well and America who stand also on the same page. Israel is doing its utmost at the moment to make the Gaza Strip uninhabitable. For years, UNRWA have been a thorn in Israel's side because they were helping to sustain the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And cutting the UNRWA funding was a brilliant victory for Israel. And the news, the information that Israel had about uh, their, the alleged information about 12 of the 13,000 being involved, 12 individuals of the 13,000 being involved with Hamas, Israel found had that information for weeks and kept it in their pocket until the day the ICJ ruling came out in order to counteract it. So not only have Israel continued to kill Palestinians despite the ruling by the ICJ and not only have the EU and US allowed Israel to ignore the ICJ ruling, now we have US and some allied countries, there's over 14 of them, I think, at this stage, and several of them are European, have agreed to cut the funding. They are saying, we are going to starve you. I mean, it's just horrific. And actually, we had an incredibly interesting meeting. We were really privileged this week to meet Andrew Feinstein and others. Andrew was... uh, a member of the South African Parliament in a in a past life in a post uh, uh, apartheid South Africa, he had escaped from South Africa um, to London um, under apartheid. A very active white Jewish guy, but very active with the ANC. And in the first post apartheid government, Mandela had appointed him, and he's done some absolutely brilliant. Now lives in Britain. He has done some amazing work in terms of the arms industry and the inherent corruption in it and the amount of money being spent on it and how it is absolutely the biggest threat to so-called democracy and accountability because it is hoovering up money all over the world. It's inherently corrupt and the money is finding its way into the pockets of people along uh, along the route. But look, I mean, I suppose we can't go into that in detail now. But just to refer people to Andrew's book, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a privilege for us to meet him, and we're going to meet him again when we go over to the trial of Julian Assange in a couple of weeks' time in London. Yeah, just just before we leave the um, Israel thing and Palestine, um, we we signed a letter today calling for Israel to be excluded from the Eurovision, which is happening in May. Now. A lot of people in Ireland watch the Eurovision Song Contest. Don't watch it myself now, but um, the idea that Israel can participate in it while it's carrying out a genocide in Gaza is horrific. It's really beyond belief. The Russians got thrown out of the football and the athletics uh, when they invaded Ukraine. 
and now they, but they don't want to throw Israel out. Israel are playing Iceland on the 21st of March uh, in the European Championship qualifiers. Are they going to leave Israel in the tournament? If not, they threw uh, Russia out and they threw South Africa out many years ago because of their apartheid system. Israel has an apartheid system. It's an apartheid state. It's about time now we actually started uh, isolating them and prevent them from participating in international competitions of any sort or in any international organisations until they stop being an apartheid state and stop persecuting Palestinians. Well, my mother actually made me watch the Late Late Show where Ireland did the rehearsals for the Eurovision um, last Friday night. And actually, I'm on the side of banning the Eurovision in its entirety, not just banning Israel from participation. But I mean, you know, all joking aside, I've always wondered why are Israel in it anyway? They're not even a European country. But then somebody told me Australia's in it as well. So what is this? A little white man's club uh, somewhere? It's just ridiculous that uh, this... It is pathetic and, uh, I mean, there's no excuse for it now. And you see the whole thing about a grassroots action of kind of BDS and direct action and isolating this apartheid state, which is on its own globally. It is very important that those actions will be stepped because Israel considers the West its friends, if you like. And if it's outside the club and ostracised, this is where this action works and we need to be taking it. And uh, I think uh, we would definitely be up in the call for that. There's been moves at home as well with basketball. Ireland are playing Israel. Uh, they say, oh, look, there's nothing we can do. And, um, you know, we lose funding and all that kind of thing. That's not a good enough excuse when genocide is on the table. So uh, there's a lot of direct action that can be can be done to up the pressure on Israel. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and I suppose and another thing, right, I mean, we don't agree with sanctions, but what we would agree with is the European Union cancelling the association agreement. It wouldn't be a sanction, but cancelling the association agreement. How in God's name can we continue to have an association agreement with a country that's carrying out a genocide? And I just want to read you a simple credential in the association agreement. And it goes, considering the importance which the parties attach to the principle of economic freedom and to the principles of the United Nations Charter, particularly the observance of human rights and democracy, which forms the very basis of the association. Now, come on. Mm. How can that be still in place? They're still getting favourable treatment. They're still getting way more money out of the EU than Palestine is getting. It's an absolute and utter disgrace. Um, And we are and have been consistently opposed to unilateral sanctions uh, from the US and the EU. But we are, like most of the world's population, consistently uh, are of that opinion. But that's obviously different than UN sanctions, which are legal and could have an impact as well. So, yeah, it's very clear where the EU's uh, putting its hitch in its wagon on this one. And it's not the way the people of Europe want it. Absolutely. And talking about human rights, make um, housing should obviously be a human right, which is not the case in Europe, especially not in Ireland. Yeah. Um, look, at obviously, I've been very interested in housing all my life. I spent all my life in the industry and uh, I used to really love covering the issue when I was in the Irish Parliament at all. And uh, I actually I did offer a housing minister. Uh, I won't name him, but uh, I, I said I'd resign my doll seat. If you let me organise the construction of 100,000 social housing units 
on state land and I said I'll, I'll organise to have them provided for a maximum of 200,000 a unit and he refused and uh, he didn't he said I couldn't really do that but anyways look at if we're just looking at the housing uh, it's a subject that we should be talking about more because it's a massive issue at home it's actually a massive issue all across Europe because there's serious housing problems all across Europe and there's a pretty basic reason for it at the heart of it is that governments today, because of neoliberalism, and people don't like that word being used much, but it's, as Chomsky called it once, capitalism with the gloves off. But under the uh, principles of neoliberalism, uh, you're supposed to leave these things to the market. So you build as little social housing as possible, and you encourage the private sector to provide as much private housing as possible. And what we've got anyway, I mean, look, at for a number of years, um, we have a housing crisis since we went into politics, since I, went, since I got first elected in the Dáil in 2011. It started before then. but mm. So, I mean, we're going on nearly 15 years with a housing crisis, and they still haven't solved it. Uh, I've seen a, a number of housing ministers, including the existing one, Dara O'Brien, who really don't know much about the industry and they don't really understand the industry and they huff and they puff and they bluff about it. And the calls that have been made for many years now are not working and we need to do something different. But that's not what's happening. Right now, I suppose just a a ladybird's version of it, right? Um, Now, Dara became the housing minister, I think it was June 2020. And um, the, the... the present current the current government housing policy um, is called housing for all, and uh, this was launched. God. <laughs> housing for all, yeah, but sorry, not, unfortunately, not no. not not all have housing, and that, that was launched I think September twenty one, right? And um, they've had a projected a projected housing output for each year from twenty twenty two to twenty thirty. On average, I think it's over these years, the target was for thirty three thousand new homes to be provided each year. And um, the old scheme was rebuilding Ireland, right? That was the scheme before that. There's been so many schemes, you just lose track of them. I remember when we were in the Dáil, there, was, there must have been about seven different schemes. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I lost count of them, I did, right? But the, the previous scheme, rebuilding Ireland target, was to deliver 25,000 new, new builds per year. So now they've upped that, and it's going to supposed to average 33 uh, between now and 33,000 units a year between now and 2030, right? Now, uh, of course, in that package, there's social housing, right? Now, in 2020, Rebuilding Ireland target for new construction houses was... Now, you wonder where the number comes from, but it was 7,736. Now, they didn't meet the target. They just built 5,070. 2021, the target was 9,500. 5,196 were built. In 2022... um, only the target was 9,000 and 7,400 were built. And in 2023, the year just gone out, the target was 9,100. Now, we haven't got the final figure for the fourth quarter, so we don't know how many social housing units were built last year, but the target was 9,100. But at the end of the third quarter, that's after nine months, there was 2,642 built. Now, the government met its target on the, the overall number and it praised itself and uh, was clapping itself on the back 
because they had met that target. But we have a fair idea that they didn't meet the social housing target again. The housing, the social housing stock in Ireland is around the 10% mark when in actual fact it needs to be about 30 to 35. Housing is expensive. It's difficult for people to actually purchase their own home. There's a whole lot of people who are just not getting paid enough to be able to raise the money to get to buy a house because houses are incredibly expensive and there's a whole lot of reasons for that as well. We have an unregulated housing market in Ireland. We have an unregulated rental market. Housing prices are too high. Rent is too high because our government doesn't regulate it properly. I mean, just for example, on the rental issue, when I came to Brussels, I rented a 1,200 square foot house or apartment. 1,200 square feet with three balconies, high ceilings, two bedrooms for 1,200 a month. Now, I wouldn't have got it in Dublin for 2,500. Now, you'd say... Now, Brussels is not a cheap city. Cost-wise, pr- price-wise, I find it pretty similar to Dublin, but not in housing or for rent. Mm. Uh, because there's regulation over here, whereas we don't like regulation. Our governments, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael's governments, fell in love with deregulation and privatising everything and neoliberalism a number of years back. And we're paying a serious price for it around the housing thing. I'll just let you in up there. Uh, no, I'm just going to say, like, people can raise families in rented accommodation here in Brussels because you've rights as a tenant. If the landlord sells, you have to be offered first refusal on the purchase of that. It's sold with you in it, except for very limited criteria unless the landlord wants to move in. But unlike Ireland, where this is done as a scam, uh, landlords actually behave properly. And you've an awful lot as well of kind of small, ordinary landlords. Now, it's a bit odd that actually landlords pay no tax in Brussels, which is weird uh, in some ways. But like in Ireland, they're supposed to pay tax uh, and they do. But that is reflected in driving up the prices and that as well. And I think one of the features in Ireland has been the whole financialization of housing, which has been a feature across Europe. So this is the big vulture funds, the big investment funds. Now we see the big companies with Ryanair coming into the market last week and buying up a new housing scheme in Dublin for its staff to go into. And on the one hand, you can say, well, what else can they do? Uh, they have Their staff have to live somewhere. And if they haven't got the um, houses and the means to buy a house or rent a house, well then their employer doing it kind of makes sense in a way. But it just shows the total dysfunctionality of the market. I mean, Ireland was in, it was actually on RTE this week about in making a bid to host the Anti-Money Laundering Authority, which is a new EU agency, and Dublin has a bid for it. And Dublin should get one. I mean, we've no EU agency, there's 400 jobs in it. As I said, well, sure, look, at Ireland has a reputation for a bit of a tax haven. A lot of these companies are here anyway, so we might as well have the regulation near where the action is. Uh, Why not? But one of the questions that came up at it was, well, where are the people going to live? And like there was a bit of a, you know, bit of a porky answer now about, oh, we're exceeding all our targets, says the minister. And in fairness, the ministers did make a good presentation, but that was a bit of a porky now because, uh, as Mick says, the figures just don't stand up. And the suffering that Irish people are going through because of this is just absolutely unrivaled. We've actually a study coming out on the whole financialisation of housing, which will be out in the next month or two. I remember having a, a serious row with Minister for Finance, Michael Noonan, in January 2014. Uh, you can look it up, January 16th, I think it was, 2014. In, in the previous budget, they had brought in this REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, 
And the idea of REITs was REITs were going to buy up a whole lot of stress property and they're going to invest in the property market in Dublin. They're going to be they're going to pay no tax on their rental profit, provided they shared eighty five percent of the profits with with shareholders, and they're going to pay no capital gains if they stayed for at least five years. This was a scheme for foreigners, for foreign money, to bring foreign money into the country that no Irish landlord could compete with. It was a complete it was actually they should have taken the case, right? Talk about having a level playing field. They completely unleveled it. And these some of these guys were linked to some of the fellas who 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 done very well out in Nama. And an awful lot of our problems around housing today began with Nama. Now, for those who have forgotten what Nama was, Nama stood for the National Asset Management Agency. It was Ireland's bad bank set up to deal with stressed assets. So an incredible amount of stressed property apartments and houses, fell into the basket of NAMA. And NAMA was set up in order to put it into deep freeze and wait till the market recovers and sell it so that the state wouldn't lose too much money on it. But then the people were then were, were uh, served austerity uh, for several years to pay for the bank bailout because we bailed out the banks after taking all the stress stuff away from them and set it into NAMA. But anyway, NAMA turned out to be the biggest financial scandal in the history of the Irish state and the politicians didn't want to know about it. And it reached a point where the media didn't want to know about it because they were, being, they were losing out on advertising if they were challenging some of the big buys about what was going on. But NAMA turned out to be a total shit show and we sold a huge section of Ireland, a huge slice of Ireland was sold to US vulture funds for a fraction of its real value and that's coming back to haunt us. These buys have a, a cartel in Dublin City in particular where they have been able to, that's why there's people paying over 2000 a month for a Mickey Mouse small apartment in Dublin when you get it for half the price in most European cities and our government watched that happen. Our government, we, we, we highlighted in the doll the corruption that was going on Begged them to look into this, look into that. Didn't want to know. They turned a blind eye and the media turned a blind eye to an awful lot of it. It, it was absolutely shocking. But that was the seeds of it, right? And we're still reaping the problems of that. I'd recommend people read uh, some of the, of the stuff on housing by Killian Woods in the Business Post. Killian Woods knows what he's talking about. And he's actually, uh, I, I haven't time to go through it all today, but he's done some really good work on highlighting a whole lot of different schemes where we're actually subsidising. If you think it's bad that the, that the, the price of, of the private houses is too high, we're, we have a whole lot of different schemes where we are subsidising the private sector to provide housing. Now, wouldn't you think that it'd make more sense if we hadn't just built social housing on state land and sold and, and supplied it to the people at a fair price? We're using the citizens' money to prompt our private sector builders to build. Now, the private sector in the construction industry, and I was in it myself, will build when it feels like it and when it suits them. And that's what they do. And that's fine. That's how the private sector works. And I wouldn't criticise the private sector for that. What I'm criticising is the government who doesn't do the right thing by building state housing, social housing on state land and, and provide housing for people to rent if they can't afford it, to buy if they can't afford it for, for 
the affordability section. We're not doing it in anything like the numbers we're doing. And now, their 33,000 a year target between now and 2030 is looking too low already. And we may have to actually go to about 50,000 units a year. And that will involve bribing the private sector even more to build more if we are not going to turn around and build social housing. It's not rocket science. It's the only way. And I mean, I don't know who can buy these private houses anyway, because uh, the absolute astronomical prices of them are ridiculous, which means with the vulture funds coming in or investment funds, buying them in in block and then renting them back to people at exorbitant fees so people can't even save the money for a deposit for a house. And all of this is linked to, as you said, make decisions made in government to facilitate the big boys, the big financial uh, companies and so on, rather than looking at things like, and the small landlords have been driven out of the market. And I mean, why wouldn't you in some ways have a system like here that say, OK, because the big boys don't pay any taxes anyway, and it's been orchestrated in a way to do that, to say the small landlord, OK, um, yeah, OK, you don't pay tax, but that's on the basis of a certain fixed rent. So the prices would then come down because a lot of landlords who are there on their own will almost, if they're paying 50 percent of the rent in tax, they're going to multiply it by two to get the amount back that they want to cover the mortgage on or whatever. So take that out of it and you'd be able to make it much more affordable straight away if you if you conditioned it on that. There's loads of things they could do, but they're in um, hock with the big boys. They're absolutely corporate capture here in the housing market and it's happening all across Europe but Ireland is a particularly bad example of it. The origins go back to the days of the Kenny report when the it was very clear that we needed to control the price of building land and we needed to control the process and they didn't. They sold their souls to the private sector, bent their knees and it's ordinary people who are paying the price because for all of those 60,000, 33,000, 50,000, whatever it is, you're talking about families, you're talking about individuals, you're talking about people whose lives are broken, who wake up in the middle of the night in terror because they're in insecure dwellings where if they have to leave them, their children have no place to go to school, they might have to move out of the area. It's absolutely terrifying for people and the government it should not be like that and it's ironic that one of the reasons why we have such discontent across the country is precisely because of our housing crisis which has been going on for decades now but the anger being expressed towards that is galvanising an awful lot around the whole issue of migration in particular the approach of the government in offering extra benefits to Ukrainians in coming out with statements and actually mobilising resources to build houses for Ukrainians. And we obviously support the right for everybody to have a house. But by announcing that that's what you're doing, then that's inherently racist. And it's also saying to Irish people and to other migrants, you're less important. Uh, and it's it sends a very bad message. So now, now we have a, a lot of discontent. Yeah, um, oh no, it's it's, um, it's mad. It's a fact that the government have enshrined racism by making different rules and regulations for Ukrainians and different other different rules for the others. Mm. Uh, it's absolutely mad. Yeah, and I mean, I think in part of this debate, and actually one of our listeners contacted us about um, 
an earlier discussion we had around some of these issues where I was discussing and, and made reference to the far right. Now, I'm not sure which programme it was, but I mean, first and foremost, really grateful to that person for getting in and giving their opinion. And they felt that I was too much labelling uh, people who have genuine concerns and that I had overstated the idea that there are sort of elements outside the country uh, involved in that movement and manipulating that movement. And I thought, you know, we should discuss that here because, first of all, it's really great that the person uh, got in contact. Too much of Irish society and dialogue in the media is done in an authoritarian way where somebody who has a different view is silent, is ridiculed and is labelled. And actually one of the reasons I think why we wanted to mention at that time was because precisely we're people who are always labelled. Our opposition to the war laid us to be Putin puppets. Actually Putin spies now. We're going to deal with that one in a minute. We've had such <laughs> fun this week. But in any case... Um, you know, so we are very conscious of people being labelled just because they have a different view from the establishment. And that's precisely, I suppose, what I don't want to have. So I certainly don't believe that all of the people who had problems with the way in which the government handled COVID, people who have problems with all sorts of in issues in our society should not be labelled. And there's far too much preoccupation in the media about calling people far right rather than dealing with what are the conditions that are enraging people and rightly enraging people. And one of those issues is the mishandling of the housing crisis by successive governments, but also the botched job they've made of the extra numbers that have arrived here. The particularly large numbers came from Ukraine. Uh, Most of the money that's been spent on it was spent on Ukrainians. And people are saying, well, how can you do that for one group of people? that you say you care about who are escaping war when other groups of people from other countries or other people who live in this country, you don't care about them. That's a double standard. And people are right to be enraged about that. And that doesn't make them uh, a far right uh, stooge or anything like that. Uh, That said, there are obviously far right forces in society as there are other forces. Um, They are taking a bit of a turn to Ireland. Um, and organise. And we know that from um, some of those elements who are in the European Union making visits to Ireland. And and I suppose there's a lot of inaccurate information as well in Ireland. And unfortunately, I suppose, because it's not so easy to hide if you're an Afghan or somebody from Somalia, you're, you know, and you're in these, you're obviously more obviously uh, a refugee or a migrant or asylum seeker. But those are the people who are experiencing the brunt of the anger when actually they're the people who are living in dire conditions where this government is not even adhering to its obligations uh, to those people or to humanity. And I suppose the way I would look at it is, I've heard some people say, kind of, look at my daughter is emigrating. Everybody I know has somebody in their family emigrating because they can't get a future in this country. And yet loads and loads of people are coming in and they're kind of adding two and two and getting five because, the you know, nobody, if you like, the people who are coming into Ireland are doing exactly what the people who are leaving Ireland are doing. They're trying to have a better life for themselves. And I fully support everybody's right to do that, you know, but they should be allowed to do that first and foremost in their own country, um, which is why we oppose 
all the environmental degradation, all the war that's forcing people to flee their countries. Um, but equally, uh, for me, Irish people have always travelled around the world and made a better life for themselves. And certainly, uh, I think it benefits society when people do that. Absolutely. And Ireland has benefited enormously uh, from becoming a multicultural uh, society over the last number of years. And um, the, the, the the people coming into the country... Uh, are contributing immensely uh, to Irish society, and that's great. Mm. And uh, but there's an awful lot of people, as you said, Claire, are really angry, and sometimes they're taking it out on uh, people that have come into the country, and they kind of think that it, that it's their fault, but it actually isn't their fault. You want to be looking a bit more closely at your government, and don't be blaming the people that are coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think. A real lesson out of us. Let's concentrate on the conditions in this country which are making life rotten for so many people, particularly in rural Ireland. That's why there is so much anger out there because they've nothing else to, I suppose, focus that anger on. But that's legitimate and righteous anger. And let's tackle those conditions. And the government have made an absolute botched job out of that rather than labelling people and I think campaigns like the uh, CATU and the Dublin Communities Against Racism have done brilliant work going out on the ground not talking down and being all sort of hoity-toity to working class communities that are really hurting and feeling the pain but getting in on the ground on the issues and trying to tackle them with the people who are, are suffering and working alongside people to make their lives better rather than calling them names. Uh, so I think th there, there's a lot of lessons in that. Yeah, it's been very convenient for the government uh, to throw labels around at people uh, who have been protesting. And the idea that everyone that's protesting is far right is absolute nonsense. There's an awful lot of uh, discontent and people are expressing it and uh, their people are really angry. And uh, it, it matched the, better, the government better now to do something about uh, their concerns of these people rather than just labelling them all as far right. Absolutely. And um, on the subject of labels and of a funnier note, We've been upgraded, lads. I don't know if you noticed it, but we've gone from Putin puppets to full-blown suspected Russian spies. The Reds are under the bed. Now, somebody might be thinking there's an election in the air or maybe it's a plot to take the attention off the genocide in Gaza because we have had nothing but nonsense and it's going to take over here next week. Um all mad stuff altogether. The old Russian spy allegations. Now, I should say there's no allegations against us as being a Russian spy, except from some poor little crater in Fine Gael who wants to run for the European election. We were linked with somebody against whom there are allegations of being a Russian spy. Now, if that's who we're linked with, I'd say a lot of the MEPs, including a load of the Irish ones, would want to get worried because we're equally linked with them on a load of stuff in the sense of the same way we're linked with her. Um, we're not linked with anybody except ourselves. We're independent. We love our independence. Uh, as Mick always says, he wouldn't ever be in a party with pe people who even have him as a member or whatever. We do our own thing um, and it's just patently laughable. But I mean, I think... It is worthy of uh, let's look at the charge and let's look at the evidence because this Lala stuff is taking on arms and legs because everybody. So what it was, was an investigation into this Latvian uh, MEP who secretly 
emails were found from 2003 and 2017, both of which, I might add, we were not in the European Parliament, which alleged contact with Russia. Now, nothing in the emails have any wrongdoing, any illegality or anything like that. They show contact with people in Russia. Now, is that surprising? Well, guess what? The Latvian MEP is educated in Russia. Her grandparents were rescued um, by the Russians. Uh, they were Jews um, uh, from the Holocaust. Being saved carried by out, the Red Army. Saved by the Red Army, brought to Russia. And she's very fond of Russia because of that, because it was people in Latvia who actually witch hunted some of the ones who are in power now and their, their, their predecessors who were the ancestors of those who carried out the Holocaust and the witch hunting of Jews in Latvia. So, yeah, she loves Russians. She's, there's a big Russian minority in Latvia and uh, she represents, represents them. them. They vote like, for her. Yeah, I mean, so hardly a big story, right? And Claire and Mick get dragged in because we went on, there was an issue which we dealt with on the programme we haven't got time for, but a, journal, a Lithuanian journalist um, who was uh, brought to court for espionage in Lithuania. You can listen to an earlier programme, greatest uh, appalling court case ever in terms of no respect for rule of law. But we happened to go to some of those events around that one case. We went three times to that case and she went as well. And therefore, there must be questions to answer with us. I mean, one of the papers even said that we were three of 13 people who voted against the Russia motion uh, on the invasion in Ukraine. But what they said is we sided with her in that vote. How could we side? We didn't know what way she was going to vote. So how could we side with her? And when we raised that with the paper, they said, well, you were on the same side. And we said, well, yeah, we were, but sure, so were other people. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, it is worse than pathetic. But I mean, listen, come on, in fairness, right? Um, you're not really surprised, are you? I mean, this is what the media do. And there is an election coming up. And you could be forgiven for suspecting that maybe they'd rather we weren't elected and maybe like to say some nasty things about us. Would it, would it, could that possibly be true? Yeah, it didn't It didn't gain traction for them this time. I think people rightly saw it as, a, you know, a, a smear. It's guilt by association. There are no, as I say, there's no allegations against us at all, except we were at a couple of events with this lady and... Um, I mean, the gas thing is, is we were at far more events with other people, but are we linked with them? No, of course we're not. We've done hundreds of photo ops, loads of meetings. We've gone to about four or five countries um, witnessing court cases. So it's not that unusual for us to do this, like, you know. And, and listen, I was afraid that people would find out that there's actually pictures of me with fine gailers. I know. Those, those right wing, uh, that party from Ireland and some Fianna Fallers. I heard you were out drinking with Fianna Fallers in the last Strasbourg. Listen, I, I actually was, but I, I was glad no one got any picture of me. I know. Look, it's... Uh, my reputation had been ruined altogether. You know, it's so bad, right? I mean, how pathetic is the media in Ireland? We'll just finish on one bit, right? Because I said about the the um, anti-money laundering bid that Ireland was in for. And we've been working with the department here. I'm the shadow on those files. And I'd, I'd love to see the gig going to Ireland. I genuinely have looked at all the bids and I think Ireland really deserve it. Uh, we haven't got any other uh, agencies at all. So I go in and um, I work in my group. I'm the shadow. I'm the only vote from Ireland on the issue. And I go in to bat and make sure I'm in the public hearings because the MEPs are going to decide. And I question Latvia. And the business reporter in one of the newspapers asked me, 
Was I questioning Latvia because of my association with this Latvian MEP? And I kind of said, seriously, you know, the, it was the secretariat that nominated what countries we could we could ask. We had no say in that process at all. Were they seriously suggesting some plot where I went in <laughs> to undermine the Latvian bid in the interests of Russia? Would it not kind of make more sense that I went in to support Ireland's one? Maybe. Join the dots, lads. Would you get out of reading your flipping James Bond novels? Get out and do your job properly. Scrutinise the genocide in Gaza. Call the EU leaders to account for what they do. Cover the work that actually goes in here. And on that note, we're going to finish today. Uh, Make sure you tune in next week as well. Arrivederci. Ciao.